Welcome to the CMU Now podcast special edition. I'm Kelsey Coleman, and this is my co-host David Ludlam. Today we speak with Colorado Mesa University Assistant Professor of Dance and Concert Director Amanda Benson, as well as CMU Assistant Professor of Psychology Jeremy Tost. This episode features the theme of Embracing the Shadow, a dance concert that explores the shadow parts of people, society, and the darkness that lives in all of us. The show runs November 13th through the 29th. And the idea of the human shadow is seen within mythology, religion, and pop culture. It's a concept developed by famous psychologist Carl Jung. How are you guys doing today? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thanks for being here. So, Amanda, I want to talk with you first about this whole theme, embracing the shadows. Um, We're not typically really open to showing kind of this dark side of ourselves. How, How did this theme come to be and... Has it been difficult, challenging for the dancers? Uh, yeah. Uh, so the theme came about, it's in relation to our season theme with theater and dance, which is suit up uh, and the different variations of what that means. Um, so in particular, embracing the shadow, we're looking at uh, exploring the parts that we choose as both individuals as well as society to hide, whether that's conscious or unconsciously. Uh, and how we can choose to reveal those things about ourselves. I think it's been, uh, in general, a very difficult time to create in, and this particular theme has made that a little easier, in fact, uh, to be able to dive into some of the the deeper issues that we see in ourselves as well as our society. And how... How are the dancers bringing this to life? I know, did, did every every dancer come up with their own choreography? Did they pick their own music? Paint yeah, so uh, like every dance concert that we have, we have faculty that choreograph. We have a guest artist that choreographs uh, that we bring in this uh, year. It was a virtual uh, residency for obvious reasons. And then we have students that adjudicate to be a part of the concert, and we select those students uh, and then everyone basically has the freedom to choose within that theme what resonates with them and how they're going to express that through their dance. So, Amanda, this idea of the our unconscious shadow, I mean, it's it's got deep roots in psychology. It's a very complicated theme. As, as Kelsey mentioned, it's not something everybody's comfortable with. So when you brought this theme to the students, what did it sound like when you explained it to them? And, and did, was it easy to convey what you were looking for for this theme? Did they embrace it? <laughs> I think they did embrace it, uh, and you can see that in the concert. Uh, yeah, I, I think it was both an exciting theme as well as a scary theme, but in the world of dance, we're used to being vulnerable on a daily basis. Uh, in classes, using your body to communicate things is a, a very vulnerable act. So uh, just in that comfortability, we're, uncom- we're comfortable in the uncomfortability of being vulnerable so everyone was pretty much on board for embracing uh the shadow in all the ways that we as choreographers decided to do that and for my piece it really was uh something both that i feel personally and and resonates within society so giving them an access point of where i'm coming from and letting them relate that to their own lives helped my cast uh really dive into the the piece a little bit deeper well like when you selected the music then because Mm -hmm. i know i think you selected maybe what three songs and it it wasn't for you it was you were selecting on behalf of some of your students is that right 
so how, yeah, how it works is there's a, a choreographer for every piece and the choreographer isn't necessarily the performer within the piece, but they're creating the whole idea behind the piece uh, and the message behind the piece. And then the dancers are become the embodiment of what that message is from a choreographic standpoint. And so uh, can you can you talk about that as being the choreographer and picking this music and mm-hmm. where you had to you had to essentially show your deepest parts of yourself then to the dancers in order to get them to move in the right way that you that this whole piece is coming together can you kind of talk about your shadows and what what that means yeah uh so the three pieces of music that i have one of them is a metal song uh, which i love heavy metal and i know that's not everyone's cup of tea So when I started my first rehearsal, I was very transparent about that process, uh, that we would be dancing to metal. And their reactions were actually kind of uh, trepidatious, but also really excited because none of them have ever done concert dance to that kind of music. Uh, And then sharing a little bit deeper of what the piece really is about for me uh, is the ways that I see in daily life and then in larger ways when my voice is accepted and when it's not uh, and what spaces and places that haps happens in so i shared some examples of uh, of um times in my life currently and in the past where i felt like my voice wasn't heard and we kind of talk through what what that means in micro levels as well as bigger levels societally of you know how i identify and how Um, my voice can be heard in certain spaces or not heard in other spaces, how they experience those particular things. And then in relation to that, what's the emotional, psychological, mental, physical ramifications of not feeling seen or heard. Uh, And for me, that lies in a lot of um, feelings of grief, numbness, rage, um, defeat, how do you keep trying? How do you keep going uh, when you feel a, a sense of rejection or that it doesn't matter? So I was very open with them about, you know, my experiences with that, not asking them to feel my experiences, but just to be very open and honest that this was going to be a difficult piece. Uh, and, and are you are you open to talking about the details of moments when your voice wasn't heard or that you felt unseen? Uh, Yeah. So uh, I will say, you know, as someone who identifies and is read as a woman uh, and also appearing younger than I am, uh, there's been a lot of, you know, cases even in, you know, department meetings or production meetings where I feel uh, and, you know, it's acted out that what I said was not absorbed. It wasn't heard or, or I was talked over. So like micro ways uh, that that happens on a daily basis. And, and, you know, the kind of effect that it has on me and, you know, in dealing with these times of so many people are experiencing that there's so much marginalization, um, so much separation, um, so much hate that is exchanged, that those little ways start to really wear on you. Um, Yeah, so I started, started with that and, you know, shared, shared from there. And, you know, as a choreographer, you always think of both being, at least for me, being honest and open, but also protecting myself and my dancers. So how much I disclose or what I disclose is for my protection as well as their protection. 
was yeah. your was your self-disclosure and your your honesty and your candor with the students part of what allowed them to embrace this concept i mean what, was that a critical part of, of of getting them on board with doing this yeah absolutely um that's definitely the way that i always operate <laughs> uh but in this particular instance i thought it was really important because i did ask them uh, the first rehearsal this is what it's going to be about do you feel comfortable with this um, in all of this because I don't ever want to put something on somebody that uh, they don't feel comfortable inhabiting and we had our last rehearsal last night um, and I was definitely in tears after they ran the piece uh, which you know put some of them in tears but also was a happy moment of wow um, thank you to my cast for the amazing work that they've put in and receiving thanks back for thank you for giving us an outlet and for opening these conversations that are so important, um, you know, about privilege and about marginalization and about being heard and seen and all of these really important things. Well, you know, before the show, Kelsey and I and our producer were listening to some of the soundtrack for the, for the, ver- for the various performances. And uh, you mentioned earlier um, that, you metal i think is what you said the, yeah. the genre yeah and so it's coincidental because we actually pulled up a clip from one of the songs that you select and we wanted to put you on the spot great and play a second of it is that okay with you Can we absolutely okay. so we're going to cue that up and then we want to get your response to how this particular piece fits in with the the show yeah okay So I had to I had to go through and write down the lyrics. I couldn't quite understand it, but I there was one line in there. I'm waking up from this wretched uh, lie that I fight it the same. Don't waste this day. Wake up, wake up, wake up. And this is pretty dark stuff. Yeah. I think by design. Can you can you share with us why you selected that piece and what it is about death metal in this case that fits right in with the theme? Uh, well, this isn't death metal. Um, it actually has a pretty conscious message that is really about waking up and having an awareness of what's happening. Um, around you and the consciousness around it. And I know that uh, metal can be very hard to understand for a lot of people. And that's why I'm putting some of the lyrics into the program because the words are important. And I think it is important. And, you know, what I shared with the students about this particular moment, that it feels like um, for me, these, these little instances that I talk about happen on a daily basis throughout the day. And that accumulation can be exhausting. And that's really what the artist here is talking about this accumulation of like i wish i could wake up from this thing that can keeps happening um and having the consciousness to try to do that but also the reality that maybe it's not possible i feel like this soundtrack is actually perfect for what you just described and how you know you've had times where you haven't felt heard or seen and it's almost impossible to not hear or feel that music right when it comes on it's like there in your face. There's no ignoring it, no denying what's going on. So I really love that. Mm-hmm. Um, also on the soundtrack, Billie Eilish, she has three or four mm-hmm. um, pieces. Is, what, is there something about her specifically or her music that lends itself to this topic? Yeah. Uh, so that piece, uh, the music is in Brandon Satorius's piece, who's a student choreographer for the production. Uh, and I, I think what resonates with him and what resonates with a lot of people is her ability to tell a story and the emotionality behind it. And, and that's an important part of, of dance, whether that story is abstract or a narrative, to be able to connect with it in that way uh, and also have such rhythmic 
variance, which makes uh, movement and music so, uh, I say delicious all the time to my students, which, you know, taste another sense, but <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of uh, story and narrative, it probably is a good time to bring um, Jeremy into the conversation because as we mentioned earlier on the show, there, there's a deep, this is rooted in psychological considerations here. And so we wanted to bring that piece into it now. And um, I know that this idea of the shadow has been developed over time and it starts with mythology and it goes into religious experience and it goes into pop psychology and it goes into to popular culture. And, and uh, Jeremy, I was wondering if you could just kind of give laypersons like us who don't know a lot about psychology a flavor for that, that, that pathway to the development of this shadow concept over time. Sure, sure. So, you know, when we use that term shadow and shadow self, uh, we're referring to a, a term coined by Carl Jung, uh, where he talks about um, these, these aspects of ourself that we would prefer to keep hidden, uh, these aspects that are often unconscious to us, but I would argue can become conscious with reflection and with awareness. Um, and we also have a term called a persona, and these are the masks that we wear when we go out in public, these not literal masks, but these approaches of behavior and, and being um, of how we want others to perceive us. So Carl Jung is, of course, a starting point here. But as you look back historically, you know, the, the ancient religion philosophy of Taoism um, has the yin-yang symbol, um, where there's white and the black, there's black and the white. We can't ever disentangle these two aspects. Um, we see this across mythology, through other cultures. Um, we see it in religion as well. Um, William James, in his book, The Varieties of Religious Experience, talks about the sick soul and the healthy mind, um, and how the healthy mind approach generally seems more positive, um, but he also references that the sick soul, the person who struggles with uh, the, the devastation of life, ultimately has a more fuller experience um, and is able to embrace more of humanity through those outlets. Um, and as we trace this kind of thinking, again, into the modern day, we have all sorts of great examples through a pop culture where we have a figure, um, and that figure contains within him or herself both a dark side, both a light side. Um, and often these illustrations in pop culture, for example, Star Wars and uh, Empire Strikes Back, Luke Skywalker has to fight himself in a cave on, on Dagobah, where he has to kind of recognize that that dark side is within him. And then in the most Three, the recent three Star Wars movies, uh, Rey goes through a similar process where she has to recognize that that darkness is within her. She has to overcome that. And I would say key to this entire narrative um, is something that has been recognized, and that's being vulnerable, uh, allowing yourself to be vulnerable to the self, that you can become aware and reflect on those aspects of ourself that we would much prefer to keep private. Um, but again, in, in Jungian thinking, we have the process of individuation where we take the fragmented self, these different personas that we project, these different dark sides that we hide, um, with the goal of unifying it and becoming a, a single solitary entity. Um, and I would reference uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the idea of self-actualization. And so for us to self-actualize, part of that process entails um, embracing that dark side, embracing our shadows um, in a way that it just makes it more apparent to who we are as that whole person. And Carl Jung's metaphor of the tree, I think some, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's the idea that you can't ascend to heaven without reaching the roots of hell, where he has that metaphor of the, the roots going deep down into the underworld and the, and the, the branches going up. I, a, I always thought that was a powerful thing. But earlier we were talking about how um, this, you know, hiding in the shadows or living in marginalized is a literal thing in culture. Uh, but I think what you're getting at is that it's also a literal thing in the, the human mind itself. And in the Star Wars example you used, you have 
these 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 characters representing a good and evil um, outside of it. But how does that come to life in, inside the individual mind? That and how do, how does that come out in pop culture? What are some examples of pop culture where it's it's all internalized? It's a battle of of, of a person versus their own mind. Yeah, it, it very much is a struggle. Um, you know, these these accounts, these stories, and these stories transcend. They they transcend time and they transcend culture. Um, and we see this this is very much a process of almost like a like a flower blossoming, where we we get these various aspects of the self that that come out. Um, not not always deliberate, sometimes accidental or incidental, depending on the circumstances of life. Um, but it's it's a trying process, not something that we necessarily enjoy, um, but that the process takes us to a place where we are more than where we once started. And so on that individual personal level, um, you know, I would argue that this is what everybody is, is faced with throughout the lifetime. Um, and that growth occurs whenever we are able to face those shadows. Um, and there's there's something interesting, I think. So human nature, there's, there's a level of appeal to seeing how this process plays out in others. Um, and it can cannot always be what we want to see when it p- plays out in us, um, because then we have that vulnerability. We have that sense of others being exposed to those sides of us. And I want to go back a little bit. How, how can we discover these shadows, right? I'm hearing, okay, everybody has these dark and light parts of them. But, you know, for the most part, it's scary to really go inside and reflect and discover what that means and what they really are. What are ways in which we can embrace the shadows? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think what we're seeing with the the choreography, this is an excellent example of uh, a group coming together, individuals um, having to um, put themselves out there. Uh, so, so you know, that's a great example of what we have here at CMU. Um, and, and the arts in general can be really good, where, where an individual has a, a, an empty canvas, a blank canvas, and they're given this opportunity to express themselves. I think we see this in music as well, um, especially, you know, in a, in, a, in a band in their younger days, whenever they're, they're raw and they're grittier and they're struggling, uh, we see the music express that. Um, other ways to do that is through writing and through reflecting, through journaling, where we can account for our, who we are in a private manner, um, in a safe manner. Uh, and another interesting way is uh, what's called using society as a mirror. Um, and uh, it's, it's been you know, said that that which we see in others which irritates us, with that which bothers us, is really reflective of that which irritates and bothers us within ourselves. Um, and so by looking out onto society and seeing what goes on and seeing how we react to it, that can be a window or a mirror into ourself about what, what our shortcomings might be, what our flaws are. Um, and then we can begin that process after the awareness to kind of reconcile the differences of our shadow and our personas. And I mean, I'm curious if when your students are training and they're dancing and they're learning this routine, were there any specific moments that you can tell us about a student like having this breakthrough moment of really learning more about themselves through through this process, through this dance? Yeah, I, I think it's it's really an evolution and I think it is a process uh, in, in being transparent about it and sharing about it. I think uh, what surprised me the most is that students were surprised that I was talking about this with them and giving them the space to also talk about it. Um, and not associating any kind of like good or bad with what we're experiencing or what we're feeling. Uh, so that in this, the struggle of the things and the messiness that we are and how we show up every day and the mask that we put on for the day may not necessarily be how we feel. And to talk about what we actually feel and what we actually experience 
uh, has made their dancing so much richer over a course of time of just being able to let go and and really uh, to, <laughs> to keep using the same word, embrace uh, the messiness that is ourselves, that is our society uh, and, and how wonderful and terrible that can be at the same time. Did you find that not everybody is as comfortable with words as, as some are? And it might be difficult for people to put words to their shadow, even with um, open discussion. But did you find some students were able to really um, put put symbolism to their shadow with the dance in an effective way that maybe they wouldn't have had words for and still might not? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's one moment in particular. Uh, so in this, the metal song that you did play uh, by Lamb of God, there's a moment where he's screaming to scream. And we we're uh, trying to find ways in our embodiment of how, what does your body look like when you scream? And there was a student that said, I don't think I've ever actually screamed before. So I don't know what that would feel like on a body level. So to, so having that conversation made her realize in her physicality that I've never actually uttered sounds like that before or uttered words in that tone. So then what does that mean for my for my body? What would it do if I did that? Wow, that's really impactful, I think, to to hear that because I know for me I'm a nature lover, so I'm always outside. I'm hiking, I'm biking, I'm doing all these things. And I you know, life is hard sometimes and I know there are moments where I'll just stop and I'll scream at the top of my lungs and that's such a release. There's something about that where you just, Oh, okay, now I can actually breathe and what, can you can you maybe disclose like what is that? What is that feeling? What's happening when we scream and just let it out? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the term that comes to my mind is a cathartic. It's it's a release, uh, a release of tension, a release of pressure, a release of anxiety, of emotions, whatever that might be. Um, and I think that scream can be audible, but it can also come out in in different sorts of, of formats from uh, from from an escape, escape into nature, where where we can be released from some of those things. Um, and we can also have these cathartic uh, processes occur by watching others go through. Uh, their shadow concerns. Um, and, and we again, we see this in issues or in pop culture. Um, you know, some of the TV shows where we have a negative uh, protagonist who's doing things, uh, like, for example, Walter White in Breaking Bad, you know, a, a hit TV show where the main character is essentially the bad guy and doing things that we wouldn't ever do. But being able to kind of vicariously live through their experiences, I think can, can somewhat be cathartic. Um, probably not as cathartic as a first-person experience, um, but you know these opportunities to release this tension, to do it in a safe way. You know, when we talk about vulnerability, part of that is we're 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 not being judged, we're not judging ourselves, we're not feeling judged by others. So I think that cathartic release uh, is kind of surrounded by um, the safety of not being judged and just being oneself. Jeremy, I want to. I may be making a leap here. I want to get your opinion, but. If you take that catharsis and you extrapolate it out over an entire society, or in this case with this particular project, let's say you're looking at the complete and absolute horrors of the 21st century, maybe the worst century for human beings that we know about, and everything, you know, the Holocaust and the rape of Nanking and all these terrible things that happened in the Soviet Union. Those are, can, do, the, do uh, ameliorating those things, does it start with projects like this, where at the individual level or a small group, you're able to address these, this darkness so that it doesn't manifest itself culturally or in a, a way that can create that kind of devastation? Are we onto something here that we need to do more of this? Yeah, I definitely think you are with, with the way that you, you put that, that um, you know, we need to have these opportunities when we're faced with you know, so much devastation, so many social problems, so many personal problems. 
um, that if we're not able to acknowledge and, and in a sense capture an understanding of these negative sides of ourselves that they're only going to deepen they're only going to get darker um, they're going to remain unconscious and then the influences of those negative processes we won't be aware of and so we, we may engage and we're more likely to engage in uh, negative behaviors antisocial behaviors so to be able to um, allow uh, opportunities and to encourage opportunities where folks can have these sort of releases uh, recognizing just that life is really tough sometimes and, and it varies um, but that we can in a sense struggle with that and that's that's part of the journey um, and then to to provide those releases in a safe manner as opposed to unsafe generally we're going to see some positive outcomes there and maybe going back a little ways going from my question about the broad implications of this back to the individual Kelsey was um, asking about this a little bit earlier but um, when you think about uh, individuals being willing to go to dark places in other people but not themselves why is it so terrifying for people to acknowledge what they're capable of or what uh, the things that the unsavory parts of their character what what, what causes that psychologically in the literature or yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question there too. Um, and we all we all have that. I mean, it's it, it, I think that's that goes without saying that we all have that darkness within us. And um, I would argue that we are fragile creatures. The human ego can easily be damaged and devastated. And so when we have opportunities, um, or when we don't have those opportunities to have those releases, um, we're we're kind of protecting ourselves. We're protecting ourselves from those parts of ourselves that are going to get us in trouble, that are going to get us judged by others. Um, and, and that, to me, is part of uh, human nature, uh, to protect oneself in the face of danger. And in this case, the danger is within us. It's that dark side within us. And so we will often do many things, do that which we can to, to hide that, not only from the outside world, but also from ourselves. And Amanda, I mean, do you think it's making a leap for me to say something that sounds... A little bit absurd on the face of it, but like what you're doing with this theme could have implications for staving off really bad things later by helping your students get in touch with things that they maybe need to be reconciled. Yeah, that... absolutely. I don't think it's a giant leap. Okay. <laughs> I think it's a pretty tiny hop. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and oh. Jeremy, I, I, I assume some of our listeners, you know, really love murder mystery novels or they indulge in true crime documentaries or podcasts. I know myself, I can get lost in those at times. Um, what is it about the human psyche or our character that really fascinates us with that genre? Yeah, it fascinates the word. That's what I was thinking as you were describing that, that we definitely have a fascination. I mean, we look at the documentaries, the films, we look at what Netflix produces, they're producing what we want to see. Um, and there's this voyeuristic nature that we have where um, we're, we're just, you know, tuning in to the, the darker side. Um, and I, I imagine there's part of us that wants to turn away, um, but the part of us, you know, that keeps viewing is, is going to be a little bit stronger. Um, and, you know, I, I think that it's it, it occurs when we're just not inclined to look at it into ourselves. And so we're going to recognize that it's out there and it's just easier to see it in others because then we don't have to deal with these ramifications of what am I capable of? Who am I? And that's a very difficult question, the who am I? And whenever we can break that down with a third person, it's safer. Again, it perhaps could be cathartic. Um, we can see these characters going through these actions that, you know, part of us may want to do, but we know society wouldn't approve of. And so by watching others do that, um, we can kind of get that release. In a, and again, in a safe way.
when we think about this you know, mythology, the, the path we went on from mythology and religion and pop culture and pop psychology. And, and it seems like one thing, theme that emerged, we were talking about a little before the show is this idea that people have to have or should have some kind of a coherent and integrated belief system in order to have mental health. Um, do you think like do also projects like this can help with that? I mean, you, you think about this is kind of a cross-discipline discussion. You have performing arts and psychology, but is what's happening on the performing arts side, does it help you do your job in helping people learn how to create those integrated belief systems that they might need? Oh, I, I certainly think so. Um, you know, in psychology, we often talk about the mind-body integration interaction. And to look at the two as separate, I would argue, is, is doing us all a great disservice. So when we can have opportunities to physically um, express ourselves in ways that words may not often be able to do, um, we're seeing that integration take place. Whenever we're able to take you know, psychological mental thought process and express it through physicality, that's that integration, that's that unification, that individuation uh, that, that Jungian psychology is, is promoting um, by bringing all of these fractured elements, which can be fractured parts of the self, but it can also be fractured parts of, uh, you know, the, the uh, you know, psychology, the, the physiology, but bringing it all together for one, if it's just a moment, one moment where we are, you know, we are one with ourselves, one with the universe, um, and I would see that very much as a positive. Well, so now that we've established there's a connection between your disciplines, are you going to put on a dance performance and, and for us as a psychologist? <laughs> oh, you know, I'm going to say yes. I think that would be a great opportunity. And it would be one of those where I have never put on a dance performance before. But in this dialogue that we're having, I most certainly recognize that I would learn, I would grow, I would become more of the person I am now um, by doing so. And I'm a firm believer in, in uh, you know, engaging in activities we haven't done before. That's, that's how we learn. That's how we grow. So, yeah, sign me up. Well, Amanda, you heard it here at CMU now, and Kelsey is good with a camera, so we'll be there to video. Uh, right. Yeah, so, yeah. I want to segue real quick because this just popped into my mind, but, you know, we're discovering all these dark shadows about ourselves, and you're talking, Jeremy, about how this is an opportunity for growth. What, what can you tell us about people just together talking about their dark their their shadows and how a relationship can build from that and connection with our friends and family can be that much stronger and deeper if we if we talk about it with our our loved ones yeah and i I see that as a form of social integration so there's all all sorts of integration we can look at in psychology we can look at integrating the left side and the right side of the brain integrating the mind and the body and this would be a case of you know integrating our consciousness with one another so um, you know, seeing ourselves in others and allowing that to happen and, and learning about others. And I think in that process, we learn about ourselves. Um, and, you know, I certainly feel that there is, there is a need, there is a time for solitude. That's how we learn. Um, but we also learn by interacting, uh, by influencing and being influenced by others. Um, so any sort of conversation, a dialogue where folks are able to, um, you know, be honest w- with themselves and be honest, honest with other people about who they are, um, generally is going to be promising. Um, we're going to learn, we're going to learn more. Um, and we're going to, again, we're going to be more of that, um, you know, uh, honed whole person after the process more so than when we began it. Maybe it's not a, I don't know if that's a psychological term, metaphysical term, religious term. What, what would you, when, when that, when that process between people is fully consummated and there's that sort of intimacy, whatever you're going to call it, what would the term be? What is it? The term that comes to my mind is self-transcendence, um, where we, we're thinking beyond ourselves. We're thinking um, about a cause greater than ourselves. We're thinking about a group, um, and we're able to, you know, put ourselves second to somebody else being first. Um, we're able to, you know, provide 
content that that is not reflecting positively on us but in order for somebody else to benefit and when i say self-transcendence we are we're moving beyond us as that centerpiece to recognizing that we are part of a greater centerpiece. We are all, you know, in that sense, in this together. And I see that being facilitated by, facilitated by such conversations. And, and the performances, perhaps. Certainly, yeah. certainly. Yeah, Amanda, would you, would you say that you are maybe closer to your dancers or your dancers are closer to you after training for this fall dance concert? Yeah, absolutely. I think it is, a, you know, a very intimate experience sharing four hours of rehearsal with a certain group of people. Uh, and when you're sharing openly and honestly about this and developing, um, you know, to go off what Jeremy was saying, what I would call empathy, you know, and being able to empathize with each other that although we're different, we have similarities and, and how the ways that we can respect and support those things, uh, has definitely changed the relationship that we have. Uh, it's also really interesting to, to carry that through across classes because I have them a lot (laughs) in classes and to acknowledge that, the power dynamic and the weirdness that that can be, but being more vulnerable and open myself ha- has made even their projects and classes, their creative projects come to, to life in a way that they're kind of letting go and, and embracing themselves and where they're at more, which I, d- I don't think we necessarily always talk about of, you know, we have to, to, to be a, a certain way at a certain time uh, and that can be really exhausting. So to give someone the opportunity to be who they are in the moment is... Is, is really important and, and rare, and I would like it to become less rare. Less rare. You, <laughs> you just mentioned that there was some complexity around the power dynamic that evolves mm-hmm. within the class as people divulge and learn to trust each other. What Can you expand on that? What did you observe in that area? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, acknowledging the, the same time that I acknowledge the ways that I feel marginalized, I acknowledge the ways that I have privilege and power in the relationship that we have uh, between me and the students and also me societally being a white woman. Um, and I, I think it's really important to discuss those things with students. Um, there's kind of an assumption that we know how that feels for them and how it feels for us and just having that kind of open conversation of, I I know I'm in charge of your grades as well, but know that that has nothing to do with this process that we're doing and separating things in the ways that we often separate ourselves of like, this is myself for this purpose, Um, that this space is the space where we share this. Um, Yeah, and it can be intimidating for students uh, to see vulnerability from other people, but also uh, it can be really uh, eye-opening and... um, develop a different relationship um, there that still respects boundaries of safety and reality, but uh, allows us to explore in a different way. And like when you think about um, once you saw some of them say flinch or be a little bit uncomfortable with those power dynamics and be a little, you watched that evolve over time. At the end of the day, was everybody pretty comfortable and did everybody in, in the end feel like it was a safe environment to be able to express themselves? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think we try our best every day as educators to establish the safest environment we can. I think, you know, safety can also uh, be more of an idea than a reality for anybody in a space. But um, they have definitely, and that last rehearsal is just uh, really what's fresh in my mind since it was just last night, is is proof of the, the comfortability and the, the growth that they have had over this course of time to just fully 
immerse themselves in this dance and give it their all, even though they're completely exhausted at the end of it, uh, but also know how to protect themselves in the moment of not, um, you know, giving more than they have and not going to the places that they don't want to go on that day. Well, I know as we kind of get ready to wrap up the segment here, this has been one of my favorite shows. And it's such an important, I think, especially having heard the two of you discuss this, uh, embracing the shadow and how important that could be on so many different levels, individualized in a, in a community and in a culture and even in a world, as, as we talked about before. It's, I'm, I'm glad that you're doing this. Glad we were able to discuss it. And maybe before Kelsey wraps up our segment here, um, uh, Jeremy, do you want to have the last word? Anything else you want to add on in terms of today's discussion that we didn't cover from a psychological standpoint? Um, you know, I, I don't think these are ideas that are necessarily mainstream, necessarily talked about. I don't, I don't think they're talked about in a home as, as a child growing up. Um, but I think they have great merit, and I think there's uh, great fruit that co- that could come out of, um, you know, whenever we are vulnerable with others, whenever we do provide that, that opportunity to showcase who we are, um, with this idea of safety in mind. Um, I just think it's, it's, a, it's a great idea to get out there for a community. Yeah, Jeremy, on that note, do you have any tips or tricks or resources or books to maybe give to parents that they can, that they can read or look up to go about talking with kids about this from an early age and getting that conversation going in the home? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question to, to ask. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't. Rec- I don't have any book to recommend or anything formal to recommend. Um, but what comes to mind is, you know, just open, honest communication. I mean, when when a child sees a parent being authentic, that parent's role modeling that for that child, and that child is learning that that that's what, that's a way to operate. That's a way to to be. And that if mom and dad is doing that, then I can do that too. Um, and so, you know, just kind of at the core of any relationship where we have equity, we have honesty, we have openness. I think those are, once those doors are opened, these, you know, this process of embracing the shadow is just m- more likely to occur and easier to, to happen. Great, great answer. Amanda, how can people watch this show? Can they see it in person? Can they watch it from home? Yep. So the show will be live in the Robinson Theater at Moss Performing Arts Center on the 13th and the 14th of November, Friday at 730, Saturday at 2 and 730. And then it's streaming, as you mentioned before, uh, online from the 13th till the 29th of November. Great. And they can get all this information at coloradomesa.edu. Yep. Perfect. Great. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy, Amanda, for coming on the show. I think this has been a great conversation. I know I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this and other engaging special edition episodes of CMU Now. I'm Kelsey Coleman, and this is my co-host, David Ludlum. We'll see you next time on CMU Now special edition podcast.